Yeah, we just got back from investigating a uh, certain spectral amount of activity in Italy. A a revenant in Rome, if you will. <laughs> a specter in Sicily. Uh, I I don't know if this is the part where I just dropped the title of the movie because I can't think of a good pun. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Haunting in Venice, everybody. A Haunting in Venice, yes. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. Welcome to Under the Bridge. Welcome to Under the Bridge. I'm Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And, yeah, the, 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 uh, I'm losing words. Oh, don't lose your words. Don't lose your words! Oh my god, I can't believe you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days I'm gonna finish Kill the Kill. <laughs> we're gonna start with, uh, we're gonna start with some comics news, actually. Oh boy. Yeah, no, I'm not going to talk about how Spider-Man has absorbed the sins of Norman Osborn and is now being a total dickweed, because that makes me sad to think about. So we're not going to talk uh, about that. What the f- why? Craven the Hunter <laughs> happened or something, I don't know. Man, these people don't like Peter being happy. <laughs> they don't like Peter at this rate, I've concluded. That's yeah, not what this you is know, about. You know what, fair. <laughs> not what this is about. I'm sorry I ever brought it up, I'm not sorry. But no, I was going to say, it's like, you may be sorry, but now I'm just frustrated. <laughs> For that, I am sorry, but also a little <laughs> delighted. It makes for good material. Good. <laughs> so we got we got an interesting announcement from Bill Willingham, the creator of Fables. You sound very hesitant about that. <laughs> well, it, it's opened up an entire can of worms. Oh boy. So like I said, Bill Willingham created Fables, which is a title that was published under DC's Vertigo imprint, and it's about uh, basically like mythological or fairy tale characters living in the modern world in secret. Okay. And uh, on his Substack, which is, uh, to the best of my understanding, a sort of newsletter, Willingham talked about DC and his publishing agreement with them, and he stated that he believed they had no obligation whatsoever to protect the integrity and value of the IP, either from themselves or from third parties, who want to radically alter the characters, settings, history, and premise of the premises of the story, I've seen the script they tried to hide from me for a couple of years. Nor did they owe me any money for licensing the fable rights to third parties, since such a license wasn't anticipated in our original publishing agreement. He continued, because uh, the thing is, Fables was licensed out to Telltale Games, and they made The Wolf Among Us, which is actually a Fables-adjacent thing. Oh, okay. So he said, when they capitulated on some of the points in a later conference call, promising on the phone to pay me back monies owed for licensing Fables to Telltale Games, for example, in the execution of the new agreement, they reneged on their word and offered the promised amount instead as a consulting fee, which avoided the precedent of admitting this was money owed, and included a non-disclosure agreement that would prevent me from saying anything but nice things about Telltale or the license. One way or another, I intend to get my 50% of the money they've owed me for years for the Telltale Games and other things. Oh boy. But... Having acknowledged that he doesn't really have the resources or time, being 67 years old, to sue DC for anything and expect to win, mm -hmm. he made quite the statement, uh. <laughs> which is that he has declared that Fables is now in the public domain. Ooh. In this, he states, You have the rights to make your Fables movies and cartoons and publish your Fables books and manufacture your Fables toys and do anything you want with your property because it's your property. <laughs> Nice. Basically going, I'm gonna make this worthless to them. Yeah, it's just like, alright, you f 
Me? Well, I guess I'll have to do the same thing. Oh, we're still in the five minutes, sorry. <laughs> I don't care at this. I guess I should bleep it, but thanks a lot. Uh, sorry. Nah, it is what it is. But uh, hey, I do respect the whole thing of like, oh, trying to pull one over me? Alright, well, this is the whole thing of like, you mess about and you find out. <laughs> However, uh, DC has some things to say about that. Hmm. Because his statement also included... The one thing in our contract that DC lawyers can't contest or reinterpret to their own benefit is that I am the sole owner of the intellectual property. I can sell it or give it away to whomever I want. Apparently, DC has issued a statement of... No. <laughs> Basically. Basically. <laughs> the fables, comic books, and graphic novels published by DC and the storylines, characters, and elements therein are owned by DC and protected under the copyright laws of the United States and throughout the world in accordance with applicable law and are not in the public domain. DC reserves all rights and will take such action as DC deems necessary or appropriate to protect its intellectual property rights. I hope he wins now, this one. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I'm not a lawyer or a copyright lawyer, but with that, it's like, okay, so wouldn't that mean that the comics would be protected, but anything else at that point is still fair game, though? I feel like if anything, that would mean that, well, granted, again, not a lawyer, but I feel like if anything, that would mean like, okay, you can make anything except for comics, but otherwise knock yourself out. I mean, in theory, you could presumably make your own comics, too. You just couldn't claim any connection to the DC ones. Oh, fair. I mean, regardless, I'm same thing. I hope that he wins. <laughs> it sounds like this is gonna boil over into something. We'll see what happens. Oh, boy. That sounds really ominous, but I am hoping he comes out on top in this case. Uh, uh, same. Yes. <laughs> now for gaming news. Oh, boy. You think we should start with the Nintendo Direct or the State of Play? Uh, do we want, oh, I mean, the Nintendo Direct had more interesting stuff, but, so we might as well get the state of play out of the way. <laughs> hey, that rhymes. No, 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 <laughs> hear me out. I think the state of play is going to be funnier if we save it. Okay. Because I'm looking at my list of things, and it is tiny. Alrighty. So, Nintendo Direct. Some interesting things. Quite a lot of things that I zoned out on and didn't pay any attention to. <laughs> uh, some minor things. We are getting... A Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door HD remake, I guess? Yeah, it looks neat. Well, okay, I say this as someone who never played the original GameCube game, so I don't know what it looks like in comparison, but it looks good. Like, oh, it yeah. It looks cool. I'll admit the only Paper Mario I've ever played was Super Paper Mario on the Wii, and I didn't even beat that. <laughs> Fair. I mean, yeah, it, it looks good. good. It's hard to talk about games that I have zero frame of reference for. <laughs> Yeah, which is why I didn't have that much about it, or the fact that Tomb Raider 1, 2, and 3 are all coming to Switch, but I thought that was worth noting. That was just, that was just a weird one. When I heard that, I was just like, oh, okay, sure. I feel like that's one where it's like, we're doing this because we can, basically. We're just padding out time until the Switch 2 or whatever it is comes out. <laughs> the Nintendo lever. Hmm. The Nintendo turntable. Yeah. Well, no, because it would still have to work as a handheld console, because I think at this point, Nintendo is, like, stuck in the thing of, like, whatever we make still has to work as a handheld. There's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they kind of trap themselves with the Switch. Yeah. It's too damn convenient to go back. Yeah, exactly. And it's too, and it's also very, still very novel compared to the offerings from Microsoft and Sony. Yeah, yeah. But, yes, so, like, we have Switch, Nintendo, whatever, Nintendo, pa no, not Nintendo, Palindrome. Although that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, 
Anyways. <laughs> we're getting off topic. Oh, As we yes. tend to do, but... <laughs> they also announced a Spy X Family game... Or, sorry, Spy Family game. But it's called Spy Anya Operation Memories, and apparently it's just about going around as Anya, taking pictures, and having a grand old time with your family. So it's literally like Pokemon Snap in the world of Spy Family. <laughs> yeah, but Pokemon Snap was like a limited rail shooter. Hmm. This is very involved to just be Anya's taking pictures. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is adorable. Like, it's very cute. I guess, for me, my my only, I guess, air quotes complaint, even though they've made it very clear, like, what this game is, is that it's the thing is, like, there has to be... I feel like it's you have to have some shenanigans from Lloyd and Yor in the background. Like, yeah, I, I feel like there's gotta be, like, little, at least mini-games or something where you're playing as them doing their, doing their actual jobs. Yeah. Not just being a real fake doctor. <laughs> or a real fake bad cook. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing fake about that. That woman is an astonishingly bad cook. <laughs> yeah, your, yours, yours, your, yours, your, indeed. So that it looks cute. I don't dislike the oh, yeah. idea. I'm just confused. Yeah, it looks adorable, but it's it's a game that I feel like would make sense to come after there was a proper spy family game. Like, it'd be the thing of, like, okay, we got the proper Spy Family game, now here's, like, kind of the cutesy spin-off, um, for the whole family or what have you. Is there not already one? I, 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 I guess there wouldn't be. I mean, if there is one, I have a feeling it's a thing that only released in Japan. Yeah, Let's I don't know. See. I guess not. Um, no, I think all I'm seeing is just Spy Anya. Yeah. So, so yeah, if there was a Spy Family game, it... It never was released in the, in Japan, if I had to guess. Outside of Japan, you mean? Or or outside of Japan? Sorry. Yeah. No, th th this this just confuses me a little bit. Much like Trombone Champ. <laughs> this that game looks so. It looks so dumb. It looks. I mean, I feel a little bad dunking on it because apparently the studio who made it is a two man development team. So. Mm -hmm. I feel a little bad dunking on it, but on the other hand, like, you can also feel the announcer struggling for anything to say about it. <laughs> like, the way they hesitate on going, quirky control scheme. Yeah, it's just like, ooh. The game's controls are unique. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, what's interesting about this is that this, this game apparently has four-player local multiplayer, which tells me that it's like, okay, so this sounds like something that invites all kinds of, of chaos to those involved. <laughs> yeah. How much ska music do you think is going to make it on here? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Like, I'm actually looking at the list of things added. And of course, you have the expected ones, like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, God Save the King, The Entertainer, down by the riverside when the saints go marching in there's a lot of stuff like that oh la marseille is on there i'm pretty sure i pronounced that wrong la marseille uh, la marseille thank you marseille i don't know how you pronounce it either i think marseille is closer to correct <laughs> yeah i don't french so it fair. <laughs> yeah this looks dumb and but also fun and 
just a great way to troll your friends. So <laughs> This looks like the kind of thing I wouldn't want to own, but would want to play for one evening. Yeah, with a bunch of other people that are all on the same page as well. Be like, okay, guys, we're not trying to be like good or competitive at this game because, because look at it, look at. What oh no, I'll be competitive as fuck. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> you don't. Do you not understand how I work at this point? Dude, look at this game. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna stop me. Mm. Speaking of weird decisions, F zero ninety nine. Yes. All that time. Waiting for more F-Zero news, and we finally get a smidgen of an update, and it's a fucking Battle Royale, like Tetris 99. Yeah, and that's, that's annoying. I mean, it doesn't it's... look bad, it looks fun. Yeah, but it's, I don't know if this is considered, like, a full-fledged F-Zero game? Like, is it a mainline game? I can't game, imagine. Right? Yeah, because I don't think it is. I remember hearing a thing where, I forget his name, but the, the, the gentleman who is, like, in charge of F-Zero, or, like, created F-Zero, has always said, it's like, I haven't made a new F-Zero game because I can't think of anything else. It's like, it's one of those things where, like, okay, on one hand, this is a new idea, I guess, kind of, but on the other hand, it's like, so many people have done so many different things with racing games that you could mix different elements of um, different racing games into F-Zero, and it would still be cool and interesting and unique because it's in the context of F-Zero. A yeah. Battle Royale game is not what comes to mind. <laughs> no, like, you could totally have a game... Imagine having, like, a big overworld where, yeah, you can drive around in your car, but also you can get out as Captain Falcon and do your bounty hunting job. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, still have the racing segments be the main thing. Yeah, like, the racing would be, like, you could kind of do... You kind of take it list something from the newer Need for Speeds, where it's, like, during the day or whatever, you're doing, like, the actual, like, Grand Prix racing, but... At night, I don't know how Captain Falcon does his bounty hunting, but, like, the night missions are, like, investigating. Ah, Batman! Bounty hunting, being Batman. (laughs) Ah, Falcon! That kind of deal. And again, even though it's one of those things where, like, other games have done it, particularly Need for Speed, it's in the context of F-Zero. And as such would be much more, um, still a very interesting and unique experience. Yeah. So. I feel like the main star of the show is Princess Peach Showtime. Oh my god, it looks so adorable. I want this game. <laughs> it looks so great. <laughs> I want this game. It looks a little less unfortunate than Super Princess Peach. How? Wait, I didn't know Super Princess Peach wasn't unfortunate to begin with. <laughs> well, only in the sense that, like, the game... And there's there's story reasons for it, but the game is based around... Using Peach's emotions as power-ups. Like, you can make her sad and she'll start crying and it'll water plants. Oh, no. And also, very unfortunately, uh, the game is MacGuffin. Yeah, the the thing, the, 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 the crux of the, of Bowser's plan. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, uh, in, in, in Princess Peach's game, is, uh, it's called the Vibe Scepter. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. no. I'm afraid no. so. What the fuck? <laughs> this right. is an E-rated game. <laughs> and I get, I get where they were going with it, but come on, guys. Hold on. You I, had to I, know. I, yeah, you had to. Oh, see now the thing is that I believe someone did know, and that's why. They oh, did like that the anyway. like like whoever was responsible for the DS marketing, like touching is good. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or looks good in your pants, even better in your hand. Mm. Oh, man. Somebody somebody was like, yeah, I showed that to my 13-year-old. They just couldn't stop smiling, so I think it's a hit. Mm. It's, it's taking catching these vibes to a whole nother level. No, this looks super <laughs> sick. Peach has some really cool power-ups, like Sword oh, dude, Fighter Peach. Yeah, oh, freaking, there's like, I mean, it's Peach in a Kung Fu costume. It was like, fuck, we get Kill Bill Peach. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Thurman Peach. Yeah, it's just like, alright, I think I'm sold. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it looks so, it looks genuinely very good. <laughs> Is that, I, I'm very confused by Patissier Peach, but mm-hmm. I'll take it. <laughs> and even Detective Peach looks cool. Oh yeah, Detective Peach looks great. Really, Peach having another game again is just all around a cool idea. Yeah. I like it. I'm excited for this one. Oh my god. <laughs> you looked it up, huh? I looked up more about the Vibe Scepter, but I also saw a post showing the ending of Super Princess Peach in the yeah. text that follows. I'm just yeah. like, nope. alright, no, they, they, who the fuck? <laughs> Somebody knew what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll take weird shit that happens in the spinoff Mario games for 600, Alex. <laughs> uh, anyway. And then, the, the last thing I had, did you have anything that you wanted to cover? No, not particularly. <laughs> Neat. So, the last thing from the Nintendo Direct that I want to talk about is, uh, after, after actually over a year of waiting, <laughs> I can finally rest easy. My Smash Amiibo collection was not for nothing, because <laughs> Sora's finally here, baby! At least he will be next year! Waluigi, move over. <laughs> yeah, get out of here! We don't need you anymore, you stupid placeholder! <laughs> ah, feels good. Waluigi's like, but I thought the gang was all here! As Sora comes over, I don't know what Sora sounds like, but he comes over and like, It's complete now, bitch! <laughs> I don't like that you made him sound Mickey Mouse-ish. I don't like that at that, all. I don't know what he sounds like, so that's the th- first you thing You played Melody of Memory! And I completely t- blocked it away from my memory. <laughs> well, I guess we're gonna have to play Melody of Memory and unlock it. No. Yeah? Yeah. No. So, yeah, that just warms my heart, because that means, well, now I have to get Pyra and Mithra, who I missed out on, because... I didn't pre-order them because I didn't think I had to, and then it turned out I had to, and then I was hesitating because it's like, I still don't know if Sora's showing up, and as long as I can't have a whole set, I'm gonna take my time getting the last two, because once I get them, it's done, you know? Mm-hmm. The hunt's over. You'll be, it'll be complete. Yeah, then I just stand there and look at it. <laughs> look at it. Look at it. Are you gonna keep it in a box? No. Or are you gonna t- Oh, okay. As I say, I imagine you would at least use them for, for the game. Yeah, I don't have I don't have amiibos to not keep them in the to not take them out of the box. Okay. They have game functionality. Why the fuck? Oh, right. I know why. But I would. <laughs> Anyways, there was also Sony State of Play, and I have here yes. two things <laughs> that I want to talk about. Neither of them are what you think they are. Oh boy. One of them is Baby Steps, the thing that literally started off, and it was all pretty much downhill from there. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because it's not that it all looked uninteresting it's just maybe it's because I don't own my own PS5 but nothing mm. really caught my attention because it was all stuff that's like basically already out or stuff that I don't care about right but Baby Steps looks really funny and weird it's I, I've not watched the trailer but I remember seeing like screen grabs of it I was like this is a and just seeing that I was like this is a 
weird vibe I'm getting from this game, and I don't know if I like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it's about. A guy just, like, wakes up in his PJs, or long underwear, in the mm. mud, and he's just walking around, and I guess the road has collapsed, and he runs into somebody he recognized who's like, just use a grapple hook. Yeah, alright, yeah, use a grapple hook. Just, yeah, yeah, well, use a grapple hook. Yeah, use a grapple hook. Guy goes away. I don't know where the grapple hook is. <laughs> it's like, so basically, we we play as a lost neat, is is what it feels like? Yeah, I'd say that sounds about right. Hmm. I don't know exact details of what's going on, but this looks weird and absurd, and like, I don't know, I feel like there's something dark potentially going on, but maybe it's just, yeah. maybe it's just surreal and absurd, I don't know. Hmm. And then, the only other thing I had was not Spider-Man. <laughs> not Final Fantasy. Okay. Not Tales of. Mm-hmm. No, ladies, gentlemen, and whatever else you would like to refer to yourself as. Foam Stars. Foam Stars. Foam Stars. Okay. To the This is a square game? <laughs> is it? Apparently. Is oh, this looks cursed. <laughs> this looks cursed as fuck. What the fuck? <laughs> what do you From mean? <laughs> what do you mean Square Enix made this absolute Splatoon ripoff? <laughs> With Cowboy Bebop music at the start. Mm. I was listening to it and I'm just like, is that Tank? Is that just the opening for Cowboy Bebop? I was half expected to go. Da -da 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 Put that on trombone, champ. Yeah, man, that really is just a a weird. See, the thing is, is that making it look like making the characters look somewhat somewhat realistic makes it less interesting and it actually makes it kind weirder. of creepy. It makes it feels weird looking at the screenshots of this. <laughs> yeah, that just makes it weird. Yeah. It looks whole CGI anime ass, and it's like, that means, like, not great looking, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I have no interest in this game. This just fascinated me on a, who who cleared this? And knowing that it's Square Enix just makes it worse somehow. Oh, I, I figured it was going to be a thing. It was like, so, it's the Square Enix game, so that, so that creates a morbid curiosity. <laughs> no, no, actually, that makes me less interested. Mm. <laughs> I do not understand what would bring someone to this decision. Money, I guess. It's like, hey guys, we need to chase after that wonderful thing known as Splatoon that debuted in what was it like twenty twelve? <laughs> I want to say twenty fourteen. Uh oh, no, that's Splatoon three. You idiots! <laughs> Just want to know about the first twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. I was okay. closer. Still, still, it's like we need to hunt after this like eight year old trend. <laughs> Let's get another news. Alrighty. El Muerto, it turns out, just might be El Muerto. Might be El Muerto done. <laughs> El Muerto, no. <laughs> that was better. That was better. The movie, the movie might be dead, is the point. Okay. Pardon my <laughs> terrible Spanish. Because it is now confirmed Bad Bunny has exited the project. Hmm. He was asked about the movie in an interview for Vanity Fair, replied, I don't know what to say, and called the issue delicate before his publicist stepped in was saying, obviously it's out. <laughs> Damn. 
usually it's the opposite where like the actor does something or says too much and then the post is like actually no let's run it back real quick <laughs> yeah uh, allegedly though sony has mm-hmm. not canned this movie really despite the fact that to the best of my understanding the whole reason this movie is happening is because they liked him in Bullet Train and wanted him attached to a project, so they let him pick. And Alberto was his idea. Who was he in Bullet Train again? He was the guy who, who was the guy who Brad Pitt he ruined his wedding. Oh, oh, he was so great. Yeah, he was good. Oh yeah, not one of my okay, favorites in that movie, that's... but. Yeah, no, but that's that's understandable at that point. <laughs> I'm assuming what happened is he signed on, was really excited. And then his publicist realized that this whole thing was turning into a punchline. Hmm. And then decided, you cannot be associated with this. This is going to drag down your image. Yeah, this is gonna not going to do great things for your career. What are you talking about? Shows him a Morbid Time meme? <laughs> <laughs> if they actually still go through with this, mm-hmm. I will be astounded. Yeah, I, I, I would be amazed as well. Just pull it. Yeah. Cancel the fucking movie. Yeah, just can it at this point. Because you've already lost your main actor. Yeah, you lost the main pull that would get anybody to go see this. Mm-hmm. Unless you get somebody else, but I don't know who else you're going to get. Like, who's going <laughs> to step in and go, Yeah, I'll be a wrestler who was in two comic issues. <sighs> issues. Not even runs. Just singular oh, issues. Oh, like just, just individual books. Yes. Two individual Jesus. floppies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is a nothing burger of a character. Hmm. Interestingly enough, created after Sony bought the film rights to Spider-Man, which further indicates that, yes, they own anything Spider-Man associated, even if it was created well after the deal. Even if it only showed up in two comic issues. (laughs) Case in point, I mean, Miles Morales made that obvious, but... Yeah. Man, what a train wreck. Mm. God, I hope this doesn't still happen. Can we cancel Kraven while we're at it? I know it's done, but if Warner Brothers can do it, if Warner Brothers can just write off a basically done movie, hmm. come on. I mean, I feel like they're not going to for the simple fact that that would give them the same, if not worse, bad PR than what Warner Brothers got for for their write-off. I feel like they might get a little more sympathy in this case. Hmm. Or at least a, oh, thank God, now I don't have to think about Kraven. (laughs) In slightly better, but also confusing news... Oh, boy. You remember Werewolf by Night, a.k.a. the greatest thing Marvel Studios has ever created, in my totally non-biased opinion? As you're ready to say, it's like, that's that's not even high praise, that's extreme praise coming from you. I stand by it. <laughs> Werewolf by Night is the best thing they've ever done. Yes, I do. <laughs> and now we're gonna get to watch it again, because October 20th, it's releasing in full color. I don't think I like that. Well... I feel like it's a lot more special with it being in black and white. See, I'm inclined to agree, and I was very skeptical of this, mm-hmm. but Michael Giacchino spoke about this, the film, the specials director, rather, mm-hmm. and he said, We spent a lot of time working on this color version. We wanted to pay homage to the incredible vibrant color in horror films like the ones Hammer made. A whole new look for Werewolf by Night. Which means that, hopefully, this isn't just oh, this is the color footage that we shot. I think that means this is supposed to look like a movie from the same time period as it looked like when it was in black and white. So the colors are going to be, like, super garish and pop. Okay. And I'm looking forward to that. 
I was going to say is like, that sounds like they reshot the movie with this color palette in mind. No, I think that means they're touching it up in post. Okay. All right. Well, if it's, if it's the color scheme that makes sense for the period that the movie's inspired by, then yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that would be, that would be cool. Yeah, I I am curious, though, because apparently part of the reason why they made it black and white in the first place was so it didn't have to be rated, like, TVMA. Yeah, because of all the- because people, like, literally, like, lose their limbs. I'm pretty sure at least one person gets decapitated, right? The werewolf bit somebody's ear off. Yeah. Went full Mike Tyson on him. (laughs) So, how are you gonna get that past the- Huh. Hmm. Well, color me curious, I suppose. Among other things. Right. That was terrible. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I understand. Well well done. It's been a I long think. day for both of us, hasn't it? <laughs> a little bit, I'd say. Neat. <laughs> Let's get into the writer's strike. Oh, boy. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Pay your fucking writers! And now actors. Yeah, I don't have a lot, but... That's probably a good thing. <laughs> Apparently, it sounds like the... WGA is negotiating when to resume negotiating. (laughs) Which, you know how it goes. You have to set up meetings. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So this is is a bit that I kind of skipped over last week because there wasn't a lot of information and it didn't seem all that relevant at the time, but with new information, I'm going to add it. Mm -hmm. Previously, Drew Barrymore revealed that Mm -hmm. her talk show, The Drew Barrymore Show, would be returning without writers and would be abiding by strike rules. Ooh. However, got a huge amount of pushback from the Writers Guild about that. Yeah. (laughs) So she's announced that the show is not, in fact, coming back yet. It is on pause. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't see... First off, I don't see how that would work. And secondly, that's kind of a fuck you to the writer's strike. So I can understand people being a little bit upset about that. Yeah, it's not... A good look, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did bring up that she wanted to do this because there are other people's jobs on the line, which I can understand that. And that is an yeah, unfortunate truth of what happens when strikes bring the whole industry grinding to a halt. There are a lot of other jobs that aren't striking that are unfortunately put on pause. Yeah, that's fair. But you have to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you try negotiating the regular way and your bosses tell you to eat shit, then you gotta go to extreme measures. And I don't mean learning to love the taste of shit. Yeah. Yeah, no. Not that extreme. Nah. Striking is still less extreme than that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call that option Z. <laughs> oh, dear. And then in another, like like I said, I don't have an awful lot, but this one tickles my funny bone. Oh, boy. So, apparently, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, John Oliver and Seth Meyers recently launched their own podcast. Oh, that sounds horrible. (laughs) You'd think, and yet, it's for a Mm. decent cause. Okay, continue. Because they want to support the staffs of their respective shows, so they made this podcast and called it Strike Force 5. (laughs) Okay, that's a good title. Right? (laughs) Because obviously their shows can't go on because, well, the writers are all on strike and they need writers. So their Mm -hmm. shows have all stopped. Yeah. Now, it's also been announced that on Saturday, September 23rd, Colbert, Fallon, and Kimmel are going to be hosting a one-night-only event, and they're calling this Strike Force 3, with all proceeds going to 
the out-of-work people on their shows. Okay. So that's nice. Yeah, very. Apparently, Myers has said, I will be in Vegas, but unable to attend as I gotta play my slots. <laughs> okay. And John Oliver said, and I apologize in advance for the impression I'm about to try to do, I'm not allowed back in Vegas until I'm cleared of all charges. Jesus. <laughs> you can hear him saying it, though. I can 100% hear him saying that, yes. Like I said, part of the terrible impression. Mm. So yeah, that's a nice thing for them to do. Oh yeah, very. Hopefully we get one step closer to resolving this. I keep... I need to stop saying that. <laughs> Remember when the next meeting with the AMPTP was looming and I thought, this could be a really good sign! And, and then, then instead it wasn't. it wasn't. It was absolutely emphatically not that. <laughs> it was actually... Ten times worse than anyone could have imagined. Yeah! Mm. This might- this- this might keep going into next year. I mean, I'd be surprised if it didn't at this point. <sighs> it's fine. It's better than fine. It's great long term. <laughs> it's great for everyone involved, except for the studio execs. Fuck them, so... so. Yeah, I, yes, that's- that is what I was implying. <laughs> I am, in fact, spite-motivated, so yeah. Yes, indeed. My desire for content does not outweigh my desire to see people I don't like in <laughs> in huge inconvenience. <laughs> and there are very few people I like less than studio execs. Mm. Anyways, let's go to trailer time. Let's go to trailer time. It's trailer time again! We've got movie previews to watch! It's trailer time again! So... All the trailers we got, uh, no, wait, they aren't all for things we already got trailers for. We got a first trailer, finally, for Aquaman the... What was that? That was me hitting my computer. <laughs> Why? Uh, because I have big hands and I'm clumsy. Okay, I thought it was something to do with Aquaman the Lost Kingdom. <laughs> it's like, no! <laughs> I slightly tap and let my laptop land out of protest. Yeah. Yeah, no, so Aquaman uh, the Lost King. <laughs> I couldn't... That actually scared me a little bit, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, how bad did that spike the mic? Let's find out. Oh, that's pretty bad. Oh, no. So, so Aquaman and the Lost um, Fist Bump. No, Aquaman uh, the Lost Kingdom. There's no Aquaman the, Aquaman the Lost Fist Bump. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look terrible. No, it doesn't. It looks... It looks interesting. Yeah, so did the first one. Yeah, I can. I'm not gonna lie. When Manta first showed up, I was just like, "Oh, that's right, you were a thing." I completely forgot about you. <laughs> his helmet looks slightly less goofy. Yeah, he, he he his outfit in general looks less goofy than previous. And I hate saying that because I do like when you could faithfully adapt a costume from the comics generally. Mm -hmm. But the thing about Black Manta is, they had a really good economical-looking design for him, and then they switched to the big, goofy, bug-eyed, too-far-apart, mantis-man-looking helmet, and it's just like, yeah. no, guys, that's no. that's dumb. It looks you, silly. You pushed it too far, now it looks stupid. Mm. Now I look foolish! <laughs> but this looks good. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him narrating. I I'm sure... In context, it's going to be a lot better, but it felt really stilted and awkward to have him go like, I'm going to burn everything he loves to the ground. I'm going to kill his family. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, this is a, this is 
dark and foreboding and not at all convincing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> hide his parking ticket so his seahorse gets impounded. I'm gonna, like, nudge the painting in his hallway ever so slightly to the side <laughs> to annoy him every day. <laughs> I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a banana in his tailpipe. I'm gonna break into his house one night and move everything five centimeters to the right. I'm uh I'm going to like double dip a French fry and leave the half eaten French fry on the table. I'm going to continually reactivate his streaming service accounts that he is no longer using. <laughs> the incidental charges will drive him mad. I am going to reactivate his gym membership after he spent a year trying to cancel his gym membership. <laughs> this is some reverse <laughs> and- flash bullshit. <laughs> I just, I-, I just love the fucking, I, I love the, I know this isn't Aquaman related, but I love the petty fucking likes that reverse flash will go to. <laughs> One of my favorite bits, this isn't an actual thing, this is just the thing I imagine, it's just him going like, Rain on your wedding day? It was me, Barry. And then eventually, Barry just stubs his toe on a rock, looks down, and inscribed on it is just, It was me, Barry. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine, what I'm thinking is that Barry, like, stubs his um, toe on a rock, like, holds it in pain, looks down, and you see, like, um, reverse flash just laying on the ground with his (laughs) hands on the rock, and then just smiles as he looks at him. It's like, fuck you, bitch. Just like, just like normal smile. Then it's like teeth shows. Like yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm really hoping Aqua Baby makes it because I think historically speaking, Black Manta has killed one of Arthur's kids. Oh really? Yeah, and then they tried to make Black Manta a misunderstood antihero or something. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's well, maybe not murderer. misunderstood, but they tried to like reform him. And have the Aqua family actually get along with him, and it's just like, no, 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 you, no, no, that's not. not. He does not deserve that. It's literally the 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 meme of like everyone trying to convince Samus on a job interview. He's like, give Ridley a chance, and then Ridley, and she's like, Ridley ate my parents. And it was one goes, time. It was one time. <laughs> nah, absolutely nah, not. Son. I mean, this looks all right. The main thing I like is. I like having Patrick Wilson back as Ocean Master. Okay. But only because, you know, he was pretty good in the last movie, and mm. I think he's got some pretty good chemistry with Arthur. They got some good, they got some good bromance. <laughs> Fair. As actual bros. Right. I don't remember if he did it, if this was a thing in the first Aquaman, but when Jason Momoa, like, knocks, a, knocks the statue down and just does his, his, like, Jason Momoa, like, maniacal laugh. I'm like, okay, please tell me there's gonna be more of this Jason Momoa. Because he that was great in Fast and Furious, so... <laughs> We're blowing up next. Vatican? Woo! Alright, but you're going to hell. It's just... <laughs> Sitting there doing a makeover, painting his nails while talking to a couple of dead bodies. Yeah. I will say, that was the moment that made me go, it's like, ooh, this man's good at his job. Yeah. Because holy fuck, is that unhinged. (laughs) Yeah. He certainly never gave me any reason to think he was good at his job in Aquaman. (laughs) Or Justice League. Hmm. Anyways, we also got a final trailer, which is baffling since the movie comes out in, like, less than two weeks, I think. Yeah. For the creator. Yeah, I do want to see this. Same. There's some really good sweeping shots of sci-fi stuff in here. 
This one plays up the relationship between the the robot kid and the and the guy a bit right. more, which I like. Yeah, like, and this is I would say from everything I've seen so far, from both trailers, I very much have the thought of this is like probably one of the most ambitious like sci-fi movies I've seen since Star Wars in terms of like set pieces and and just scale and everything going on in the movie. It's like all right, they've got a lot going on uh... here. Definitely not mm-hmm. that I've seen in terms of scope, but fair. But I like what it's doing. I will say, <laughs> um, there they did. Um, Twenty Century um, Studios posted a clip, an eighty-second clip of like one part of the movie, and I'm not going to tell you what happens. But let's just say <laughs> this movie, it. This movie seems to have the a, a moderately twisted sense of humor. Oh no! <laughs> I I am planning on seeing this in theaters. I don't know if you are, but oh yeah, definitely. Especially because like that same weekend is Saw Patrol, and let me tell you, oh, I yeah. will do anything I can to get out of having to see either Saw Ten or Paw Patrol. <laughs> Even if I didn't like this movie. Or at least if I wasn't interested in this movie particularly, I'd still go see it because I'm more interested in it than Saw 10 or Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. Yes. Yeah, no, but yeah, regardless, this looks like a good time. Indeed. And then we got another trailer that uh recontextualizes what the movie's going to be for me a bit of Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a sad and uncomfortable one, I think. Yes, and also, based on me looking it up um, after the fact, very long. <laughs> oh, how long are we talking? I Take a guess. Three and a half hours. Correct. Son of a bitch, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like Why do I keep doing this? <laughs> Am I willing no, this into existence? I mean, once again, you're technically correct because it's three hours, 26. Son um, of a gun! <laughs> I mean, at the same time, it's, for me, it's really unfortunate because it's just like, this looks like a good movie. This looks like a genuinely interesting movie, but you're really going to have to sell me sitting in a theater for three and a half hours because it's like, I do want to see this really badly. What else is out Um, that weekend? Anyway, yeah, this looks, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't expect it to be as sad and uncomfortable from the first trailer. As this one makes me believe it will be. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, this looks like it is gonna be a tough watch in a good way, you know? Yeah. This trailer does a good job of making it very clear from the get-go. It's like, there's not really... At least initial motives are not at all good. <laughs> nah. It's literally the movie sets up with um Robert De Niro telling Leo Leonardo DiCaprio, it's like, alright, here's the thing. These people have control over everything since the oil is on their land. We need to get control. Okay, what do we do? I want you to go in there and make a family with one of the natives. And it's just like, oh, oh. no. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but, like, this is also based on real events, yeah. from what I understand. 1920s America is not something I am unfortunately very familiar with from a historical perspective, but it is still an interesting time. It's basically like, the era that starts, like, amongst other things, starts the, um, or legitimizes the FBI as we know it. 
And in terms of establishing their power, not justifying all the rotten shit they do, right? Yeah, ex- yes, yes. Kidding, much, if you're like, listening, FBI. <laughs> <laughs> or it's at least at the very start of it. It's the start of the creation of, like, okay, so this is what the FBI is really going into. And also just a lot of backhandedness in a very lethal manner. I feel like that was a lot of word garbage for nothing. <laughs> but yeah, this looks like a good time. But man, I'm going to have to... I don't want to, like, spoil it per se. I'm not going to try and spoil the movie, but I really am going to have to make sure I have nothing going on that weekend to sit in a theater for three and a half hours on this. It doesn't look like there's an awful lot else releasing that weekend, so that makes it a little Mm. bit easier, I guess. Well, that's good, at least. But, oh man, that's still long. (laughs) But the cast is so good. Yeah, it is. Brandon Fraser's in this. Yes! Yeah, he plays, um, apparently, Robert De Niro's corrupt attorney. <laughs> oh, dear. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, the only other thing I'm really seeing is something called The Post. The an, Post. An edgy revenge thriller steeped in the yet undetermined boundaries of social media crime and punishment. No, I don't need a real movie to make me sad. Punishment <laughs> and crime in the hall! Hmm, Let's talk box office, I guess. Alrighty. We did not see the highest grossing movie this weekend. Oh boy. I'm sad to say it was The Nun 2. <laughs> oh no. Barely. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. So The Nun 2 took in $14.5 million domestically this weekend for a $56.3 million domestic total and $161.1 million worldwide. The movie we saw, A Haunting in Venice, Took in fourteen point two million. That's such a small difference, <laughs> right? And it's currently sitting at thirty-seven point nine million dollars worldwide against a sixty million dollar budget. So it's got a ways mm. to go. Yeah, for real. Third place, Equalizer three. Seven point two million dollar domestic weekend for a seventy-three point six million dollar domestic total and hundred thirty-two point three million dollars worldwide. Fourth place is My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. <laughs> okay. <laughs> $4.7 million domestic and $23.9 million worldwide. Hmm. And in fifth place, guess who's back? Back again. Bar- Barbie's back. Barbie. He's just Ken. <laughs> I was thinking of that one for an hour. Mm, good job. <laughs> Thank you. $3.8 million domestically this weekend for a $625.9 million domestic total and $1.417 billion worldwide. Obviously, still sitting at number one for the year so far. Yeah. That really is a shame about A Haunting in Venice, though, because I know you can't speak for it, having not seen The Nun 2, but it's mm. a damn sight better than The Nun 2. <laughs> I mean... I definitely feel like I got much more enjoyment out of this movie than I would have gotten out of seeing The Nun 2 by default, so... I did, so... (laughs) You're probably right. Excellent. So, without spoiling it, A Haunting in Venice is another one of the Kenneth Branagh directed and starring movies based around Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot novels. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It is... I guess you could technically call it a sequel... To Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, but I, I don't necessarily know if it's correct to call it a sequel, because mm. it doesn't really feel like it follows up. Like, I haven't yeah. seen the other two, and I don't feel like I missed a damn thing. 
So, uh, like I said, Bronog is Hercule Poirot, who is retired. Mm-hmm. He is just lounging around in Venice. As one does. As one does. And then he gets dragged to a seance, well, Halloween party slash seance, by his writer friend Ariadna Oliver, played by Tina Fey. Oh, yeah. Which, the character, I, I, I am ashamed to admit, it. I didn't even really recognize her for most of the movie. <laughs> Mostly just because the character is not unfunny, but also not super funny. Yeah, you know... As Which means she did a great job. I didn't recognize it was her. Yeah, no. No, very much so. Yeah? So, the party slash seance is taking place at this allegedly haunted and cursed palazzo. Mm-hmm. And the lady who runs the orphanage there... Or is it, is it still an orphanage? Yes, it is still an orphanage, I guess. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. W- wants to conduct a seance to speak with her dead daughter. Right. And then a murder happens. <laughs> Indeed, a murder happens. And in usual detective style, Poirot must figure out who has committed this heinous crime. But all the while, he begins to experience strange happenings that make him suspect that maybe there might be something more going on than just a mundane crime. Some would apply it's some spooky season stuff. Yeah, it's some some real some real spooky shit. Yeah, spooky the spookiest of shit. A spooky scary skeleton of shit. <laughs> Naturally being a mystery movie, it's kinda hard to talk about it without getting into spoilers. Yeah. But I like this a lot. Yeah, it was a I will say this was definitely more of a good time than I was expecting it to be. Like, I don't know. I don't have anything against like whodunit movies. But it was to think of like, okay, you know what, a whodunit mixed with a horror movie, I'm not sure how I completely feel about it, but we'll give it a try, and I definitely had a better time with it than I was anticipating. <laughs> yeah? I don't know, I st- I, st- I don't know if it's spoilery to talk about it, but I still don't know how I feel about the ending. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes, indeed. One thing about the trailers that got me that I'm happy to see carried over here is that this is very much a, it's not a horror movie, but it's a horror-tinged murder mystery movie. It's it's the lightest amount of horror adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing really jump out like, ah, kind of thing, but it's unsettling. Oh yeah, very much so. It is an unsettling movie. Mm. Here and there. Yeah. I will say, I feel like, and I, I, I haven't seen an awful lot of, Hercule Poirot media, so I might be off here, but... Because my primary exposure is, you know, the older Murder on the Orient Express movie. I want to say from the 70s? Hmm. The one with uh, Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot. Right. Yeah, 1974, directed by Sidney Lumet. That's the one. So, my understanding is... Poirot is usually more of a, um... What's the best way I can put it? He's almost kind of a Dumbledore. Hmm. In the sense of, like, with Dumbledore, you kind of get the impression, like, yeah, he's he's one of the most powerful... Oh, fuck, I probably shouldn't compare this to Harry Potter. <laughs> it's the best frame of reference I have, though. But yeah. it's that idea of you have a hard time telling which of his quirkier traits are genuine and which are him putting on a show to make himself seem less impressive. 
Right. Like, Poirot, don't get me wrong, is kind of an egomaniac and very full of himself, but he's mm. very good, as I understand it, at pretending he is not, and also that he's nothing to really consider in the first place. Making himself seem unimpressive so as to better gather information. Yeah, because, and make it his, he was talking to, like, more at ease, I guess, of, like, going, I was like, okay, he can't possibly be that good. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of like Columbo. You know what, that's a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It's a little more Columbo, where Columbo just comes in and he'll, like, he'll let your guard down with some long yarn about the wife or whatever. Right. And then next thing you know, he's he, he's asking you very pertinent, very piercing questions. <laughs> It's like, Just oh. as he's walking away. Oh, by the way, just one more thing. And I don't really feel an awful lot of that quirkiness from Poirot in this. Mm-hmm. There's still bits and pieces of it, like... One of the only bits of dialogue that's actually sticking with me because I didn't... I dropped my pen in the movie theater into my seat so I couldn't take notes right at the start of the previews. <sighs> but he he says something, and... Tina Fey's character just goes, that's not a phrase in any language. We shall continue. <laughs> just carries on. Without missing a beat, too. It's like, she calls him out, it's like, that's not a thing, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna keep going. Anyway. <laughs> I'm glad the mo- the movie doesn't feel overstuffed. Each character is distinct. Yeah. I have no problems identifying them, which is good. The mystery itself is solid. Yeah. Because... Long have I ascribed to the idea that a good twist, which in theory every murder mystery should have, mm-hmm. because well, I guess to be fair, figuring out the murder isn't always necessarily a twist. So maybe that's why I'm a little more lenient on this one than I might be on other ones. Because I've long established that to be a genuinely good twist, there needs to be two separate elements. Mm-hmm. The first one is you can't see it coming. Mm-hmm. If fair. you see it coming. It's not a great twist. Yeah. Now, that one I'm a little more lenient on, because the thing is, if you've seen enough movies or consumed enough media, any sufficiently paranoid viewer, reader, what have you, will throw enough guesses at the wall over the course of a thing that inevitably they will come <laughs> to a conclusion that is at least partially correct. <laughs> yes, very much At so. least, <laughs> if you are telling the story correctly, because the second... Less negotiable, I think more important aspect of a really great twist is that on repeat viewing, you have to be able to connect the dots and see where it's going. It has to make sense on a second rewatch when you know, or on a second viewing on a rewatch, when you know where all the pieces are supposed to be lining up to fall. Hmm. Because anybody can do a twist where it goes... Oh, and then secretly aliens the whole time. But if you've not even dropped one singular hint of aliens, it is not a good twist, generally speaking. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure I could probably think of some exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. I struggle to right now, though. (laughs) And to be fair, I feel like this is the most correct I've ever been in a murder mystery. Yeah, as I say, you were correct in, like, ways I, like, you were very correct, and I was just like, how, though? <laughs> it's like, I must be blind or something, because I don't see how I'm missing those bits, and it gets to the whole thing, and it's like, wow, this dude is, and it's like, oh, you got correct on everything, 
In in the movie's defense, and Mm. to my own self-deprecation, I got it very close to the end. I got certain pieces, but I didn't identify the killer until near the very end. And it was sort of... I can't call it process of elimination, but it's what Mm. it felt like. Hmm. And also, to be fair, another part of it, without the spoiler, is that the nature of what this movie is leads me to rule out some predisposed ideas of what it could be. Mm -hmm. There are some possibilities that are already ruled out just by virtue of what the movie is, and I get into that a little bit more in spoilers. Right. So, yeah... I, I managed to figure it out before the movie pulled the rug out and revealed it, but I don't think that's a knock against the movie. In this case, I think it's a case of just, I'm suitably paranoid, I didn't really guess it that soon, I didn't immediately have it on lock halfway through the movie, it, it was getting near the end, of, near, near the climax is when I finally, it all started to click together to me, which, also when it clicks for the, for the movie, so I was only ahead by a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Jude Hill uh, is the actor who played Leopold, the kid. He was quite good. Oh, he was great. He was a good time. Definitely got the feeling of, like, you were going to be the kid who is objectively uh, way above his age in terms of, like, intelligence and maturity and all. But I also get the feeling that you were going to be the kid who everyone's not going to want to be around. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, it wouldn't be for necessarily... It's like the weird thing, like, it wouldn't be necessary for bad reasons. It would just be, like... I don't know. I was going somewhere with it and then I lost it. Point is, he's great in this. Oh, like, yeah. I would say, for me at least, he was definitely one of the more enjoyable characters throughout. Everyone is on my list, says Poro. <laughs> what asked about the kid? <laughs> no, the kid The kid has a really good set of conversations with people, and Poro in particular. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he... Um, I feel like he's one of the ones who... Even though he doesn't have like a lot of like long term conversations with him, I feel like he definitely does a good job of kind of keeping Perot on his toes the entire way through. Yeah. Oh, that was the other one. There were some key details that I actually got wrong, which is part of why I'll still. Get... I don't think that me figuring it out in advance this time mm-hmm. counts against the movie. Right. This movie was good enough that I kind of forgot Michelle Yeoh was in it. Yeah. <laughs> And she's... Okay, I don't think it's this part's a spoiler. She's the one who dies. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, she doesn't last particularly long. But with everything else going on... I thought about that, too. Because at a certain point with the movie, I was just like, man, I, fe- I almost feel like they underutilized her. But at the same time, there's so much going on. I feel like it, they're also like, yeah, well, we can't use her for too long, either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's busy winning Oscars now. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> The camera works good. Only a few of the uh, truly preposterous Dutch angles I expect from Kev- Kenneth Branagh. There were a lot of weird Dutch angles in this. <laughs> yeah, but they, they weren't as bad as I was expecting. Mm. The man does love him a Dutch angle. Indeed. Tilt it! Tilt it more! Tilt it more! <laughs> Tilt it more aggressively! We want this camera on a 45 degree angle! Is like like this camera needs to be more banked than the Daytona um, race course. <laughs> fun fact, or fun reminder, rather, he did direct the first Thor. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> right? 
that makes a lot more sense. Directed the first Thor, did a lot of Shakespeare adaptations. Hmm. He was also um in Infinity War, that one Asgardian who is uh sending the distress signal while Thanos slaughters them all. Oh, is that him? That's him. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunately he died so quickly, but... <laughs> True. Oh, he directed a Jack Ryan movie? What the heck? Hmm. Oh, and Artemis Fowl. That's less... <laughs> it's like, oh, that's cool. Get to Artemis Fowl. It's like, ugh, that's Oh, not... no. Oh, no. I still need to watch the live-action Cinderella. I've heard that one was decent. Hmm. Well, the live-action remake of Disney Cinderella, since I'm sure there have been, like, 50,000 live-action Cinderellas. Indeed. In any case, you got anything else that's uh, not a spoiler, you think? Um, not anything that I can really think of off the top of my head. Hmm. In that case, I say it's definitely worth watching. Oh, 100%. It's, it's absolutely worth going to see. This is a solid murder mystery... And it's got that extra little flair of also kind of being horror-adjacent, but not a horror movie. Yeah. So, if you like something with just a hint of danger, but that's not going to scare you too much, you can honestly bring the kids to this one, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, Yeah! Uh, okay, there's a couple of pretty violent deaths in it, maybe not. Yeah, as I say, like, the way- <laughs> since we already talked about it- the way Michelle Yeoh goes out, probably not something you want the kids to see. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Thinking about it, maybe bring like your don't bring your don't bring your like five year old. Maybe ten year old could probably handle it. Ten year old could probably handle it. But I'm not a child psychologist, so I don't know. I wouldn't bring my niece to this one. So yeah, I say I, it's like it, probably not the kind of thing to to have if you're fearful of the hand of God. Um. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, if you don't want to get spoiled on a haunting in Venice, make sure to click away in three, two, one. So, I think the main thing that interests me, and the main thing that helped me narrow down how this mystery was going to go, and figure out the exact implement, was the idea that. The Hercule Poirot stories, as I understand it, don't generally have supernatural elements. Hmm. So, when I saw him seeing and experiencing things that could really only be explained by paranormal activity, that made it pretty clear that, okay, it's clearly not that, but if he's experiencing it, then that means somebody's messing with his mind somehow, which implies right. some kind of mind-tampering substance. And from yeah. there, it was pretty easy to figure out. And even then, I had to I had to revise my guess. Because mm -hmm. at first I thought it was in the apples that people were bobbing for. But I should have known that that would mean the kids would have gotten it too. But that, actually, that was part of why I thought, because Leopold was the only other kid there, and he mentioned he could speak with the dead people too. So I figured yeah. it was like a shared hallucination or something. Yeah, because Leopold doesn't go for the bobbed apples, right? No, he don't, that should have been my clue. That should have been yeah. my tip-off. Hmm. So instead, it's it's uh, poisoned honey. It's like rhododendron honey, which I guess can cause hallucinations or something. Yeah. Honestly? At least according to this movie. Yeah, which, I don't know. I feel, I mean, maybe this is just a thing where it's a thing for 
um, murder mystery type stories to have an element that's like it's a key that you would never expect. But I really was not expecting Honey of all things to be the main catalyst for this. I wasn't expecting it, but like I said, it's one of those things where knowing that it probably wasn't going to be something supernatural because that's not the kind of thing Hercule Poirot investigates mm-hmm. made it much easier to narrow down, okay, it has to be something we've seen him consume. So that doesn't leave a lot of options. Right. Like, at that point, the only because the only thing we see him actually consume is, like, well, water from the whole, like, apple bobbing thing. Yeah. And tea. And tea. Oh, yeah, the tea would make sense, too. Because that's yeah. what had the honey in it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That Olga mentioned find or somebody oh, mentioned finding yeah. in the linen closet, which is a weird place to put it. Yeah, it is. Okay, no, that's right, because that is what you had to revise your guess on. Yeah. Because you were, like, if I remember right, you were initially thinking that the water was drugged. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And it, may- or the apple. Mm-hmm. But, and also, the thing I was just straight up wrong about was how Dr. Leslie Ferrier died. Mm-hmm. Because I figured, once I figured out that Rowena, the mom of the girl who was murdered, who they were trying to contact her spirit, was the killer... I figured she just knew of some, like, secret passageways or something, or had another key that, uh, she pretended that didn't exist, mm-hmm. that she could get into the locked room and kill him. I didn't figure she actually talked him into killing himself under threat of his son dying. Yeah. So to go back, you know what, it's probably better to go back. So, um, Rowena Drake, the mother of the girl who was allegedly committed suicide, years ago, conducts a seance to talk to her daughter, allegedly. Really, it's that she thinks that either the doctor or Michelle Yeoh's psychic medium, who's actually a fraud, are blackmailing her because they figured out that she accidentally got her daughter killed by drugging her with toxic honey to keep her under control, but then she had too much and ended up dying. Yeah. So, that's how that went. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then yeah, in a yeah bit, it's like it's hard to carry a, on from that <laughs> in a bit that you indirectly got right because <laughs> i remember I you telling me boy i know it won't be the thing but it'd be really it'd be really something if the kid was behind it and the kid's not <laughs> behind it but he is what kicked it off he is directly involved in it <laughs> because he's the blackmailer he yeah. figured out that rowena killed her own daughter and blackmailed her, hoping to get money to help take care of his dad. <laughs> Which is noble so... sentiment. Is it though? <laughs> is it... <laughs> like, yes. Look, the under- are we really gonna get in the? Are we really gonna get in the? Is there? Is there a moral <laughs> way to blackmail? If it's a murderer, yes. <laughs> I mean, okay. Actually, the ethical thing to do is turn him in. Yeah, yeah, for real. But you might as well empty out their pockets first. (laughs) Makes it harder for them to run. Which, uh, when, yeah, when it was revealed that the kid was, like, again, not directly responsible, but very much the instigator of everything that happened in the movie, I was just kind of sitting there dumbfounded. Because I was like, there's no way the kid's involved. That would be completely contrived. Like, there's no way. And then they, and then he goes, like, no matter what, um, the... Why am I blanking on this man's name? Poirot? 
yeah, when Perot goes, like, you should not feel responsible for this, he's like, wait, why would he feel responsible? And, he, and then the kid goes, but it was all my fault. And it's like, what? And then he gets yeah. into that. And then when he gets into that, it's just like, I, I don't know how I feel about being indirectly correct about that. Because the context of it is very messed up. <laughs> hey, at least the money went to a good cause. Yeah. It's just, it's helping, two, helping two assistants to a fraudulent medium go to St. Louis, Missouri. Hmm. <laughs> that was also kind of part of what helped me figure this out. Like, okay, he had kind of sort of an interrogation with Rowena earlier, but it wasn't really an interrogation, it was just touring the garden and talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he'd sort of ruled out everybody else by that point also made it easier. Right. Once he what once he talked to the murdered original girl's uh ex fiance who was talking about how controlling the mom was, I was it, that's when it started going like, oh here we go. Mm. That's the motive. Because that was also when my brain started ticking towards the honey being responsible, and it went, okay, yep, yep, oh, yep, yep, nope. Yeah, I mean, mm. no, that's fair, because it's like, okay, that, that's the thing of, like, motive and resources at that point. Yeah. I don't really have an awful lot else, I think, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Cause, I think because it's the unfortunate thing of, like, granted, I haven't seen a lot of whodunit movies, but when it was all figured out, it was a thing of like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I think there was one aspect that I didn't understand. Yeah. I'm having a hard time remembering it, too. Was, um... Yeah, because I remember talking to you about it and being like, okay, everything else that he came conclude on, yeah, I get. But there was one aspect where I was just like, okay, how did you get that? Because I felt like there was no context for it, but I'm having a hard time remembering it. I remember just talking... Uh, how he figured out it was blackmail, and it's because of the fact that she was out of money, despite being an opera star. Right. Okay, yeah, 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 that's fair. That was it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just had something, and now I've forgotten what it was. Oh, well. Your pen? Ha ha ha! Yeah, I don't think I have anything else, or at least nothing else that's important that comes to mind. Yeah, that feels like a pretty succinct summary of it, if a little rambly. Yes. I mean, still, like we said before, this movie is 100% worth seeing. Yeah, maybe a little less so if you already know how it ends. So, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully you've already seen it. <laughs> and you're just coming back to hear our spoilery thoughts on it. Exactly. Oh, that's the other one. That The, the reason why I say this is the one that I got the most right out of any murder mystery I've seen is specifically because I feel like the only other competition is Knives Out. Mm-hmm. And Knives Out, I don't really feel like it counts. Because I... Spoilers for Knives Out, I suppose. Uh, they click away for a bit in 3, 2, 1. I knew it was Chris Evans, but I couldn't place how in the slightest. Yeah. So I started to conclude it couldn't have been him. <laughs> So I had it right, and then veered off of it. Right. Kind of like with Scream 6. But no, this was a very atmospheric murder mystery. Oh, yes. Really fun, decently, sort of spoopy, uneasy time. Very, very engaging. Yeah. So I think that about wraps this up. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Next week, it sounds like I might be the only one seeing a movie. Uh, actually, that might that might have changed. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, my Saturday has been freed up. Oh, I see. Sweet. So, what, remind me what's on the docket for this week? Uh, well, there was Expendables 4, but I'm probably not. Okay. I'm probably gonna go see It Lives Inside, which is a horror movie. Eh. I might lean towards Incredibles for Incredibles. Incredibles for. four. <laughs> My how the time flies! Seems like only four years ago or something that Incredibles two came out. Yeah, and like Incredibles three, it's like what happened with that was. I was like, ah, it was a direct uh, DVD release. Uh. Oh god, five years since Incredibles two, rather. Mm. It's Mister Incredibles two. Indeed. In any case, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, Google Podcasts, whatever you want to do. You don't gotta do any of it. Right. But, until next week, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. the Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, a.k.a. Greg. I just realized I had another big announcement that I should have made, but I can make it next week. Alrighty. We'll catch you guys next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye!